We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. Or am I? Who are we? Who are you? How do you know so much about me? I don't know. I'm going to check this cassette tape, though. We are reviewing the 2004 movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It would have been a really depressing cold open to just uh, say really negative things about each other. And then have to be like, I, I don't think those things. I don't. I, I wouldn't say those things. I, I, you know that's not true. I don't that's do that. True. I don't. I don't do that. I would. I wouldn't do that. I don't do that. Mm, mm. So just pretend that we did that, and we can skip right over all the awkwardness Absolutely. and unpleasantness. <laughs> yes, this movie. I mean, just so good. I'm just glad we're reviewing it. Uh, so if you don't remember Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, neither do they n- a lot of people in the movie don't remember a lot of things uh, and like the movie we're going to tell you the synopsis out of order <laughs> apparently so uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is a 2004 american sci-fi romantic drama i guess so yeah also had it categorized somewhere on the internet as a psychological thriller. I mean, I guess I never thought of it as all those things, but I guess you don't really see your patterns till they're all laid out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is a drama written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Michelle Gondry. Uh, and uh, Pierre Bismuth is actually uh credited with being a co-writer and we'll get to that a little bit later but the whole premise of the film is about love heard of it uh so after his declining relationship ends in a serious argument uh joel barish played by jim carrey decides to make up with his now ex-girlfriend clementine who is played by kate winslet uh, finding she changed her number he desperately follows her to work and she treats him like an average customer, and he soon learns that she dealt with the heartbreak by undergoing a memory-wiping procedure. Since Clem has cut him out of her life altogether, Joel meets with the erasing company and opts to undergo the same procedure in an act of spite. And the whole journey takes place, or at the very least most of the journey takes place, inside of Jim Carrey's character's mind. Uh, where we are just treated with just so many visuals. When I was watching this movie with my wife, you know, when we typically watch movies together, we'll pause or we'll kind of have, like, commentary about the movie. And uh, (laughs) there's one transition that was happening, and I paused the movie and told my wife, I said, hey, this movie is 80% visuals, so (laughs) make sure that you are watching pretty much the whole time. She's like, okay, got it. Because this movie is just such a... Uh, just a just a, a gift to sight, you know. It 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 just shows you so many really cool things uh, all throughout. And uh, this movie uh, had actually got its start like way back in the day, um, going back to artist Pierre Bismuth. He's credited with being the co-writer because Pierre Bismuth is uh, an artist, and he had the concept of sending a card to people mentioning that they had been erased from the memory of someone they thought they knew. 
And then he wanted to study their reaction as part of an art experiment. Uh, and he eventually opted not to pursue this cruel prank. Um, and uh, instead, uh, Gondry took the concept and enlisted the artist's aides in developing a story around it, uh, where Charlie Kaufman then turned into a script. Uh, then the three of them worked together and were ultimately uh, awarded a 2005 Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. And on top of that, they were nominated the same year Kate Winslet got the nomination for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role. So it is an Oscar-winning film. Just an insanely impressive cast as well, too. you got Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, but you also have Tom Wilkinson, Elijah Wood, Kirsten mm-hmm. Dunst, David Cross, Jane Addams, and Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. It's a real great movie to go to when you're playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon because they all spread out across... <gasps> the all the corresponding universes in film absolutely now this movie i mean they they started pitching this movie as early as 1998 uh two years before christopher nolan's memento arrived uh and when that movie was released kaufman said he got nervous and totally freaked out uh a, a quote from him saying is i thought oh i can't do this anymore and i called michelle uh and said I'm not doing it. And then they called the producer, uh, Steve Golan, and they said, we're not doing it. And then Steve Golan was very angry and said, you're doing it. So he did. (laughs) Uh, And they admit that they weren't influenced by Memento, uh, except in that way, that their studio told them, you're doing it. Uh, And so uh, originally the premise was that this whole movie was going to take place 50 years in the future. Okay, so really more sci-fi. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Um, and it was going to be about Kirsten Dunst's character, Mary, trying to publish a manuscript called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Basically what they did with the Titanic of like, it's been 50 years. Uh, uh, and then type. it would have all been yeah. flashback. Mm. That's interesting that Mary would be the one publishing that manuscript then because she's the one that brings up the title of right. this movie uh, from the Alexander Pope quote that she uses to try to impress Howie. Or Howard. I don't know why I use the super informal. Well, I mean, version. you know him. Very I know him. Well. Do I? <laughs> um, yeah, it, and uh, that's interesting about Memento too, because I, I was getting Memento vibes this time watching it, and I, this movie, just so you know, it was one of my favorite movies for a long mm-hmm. time. Like this, this was one I would point to. I thought it was. It, it still is so innovative and like Oscar-winning screenplay and all that. Um, but the combination of people to make this what it is, I think, is the real... You know, we say every movie's a miracle. I think this one is a little more miraculous than some just because having the vision of Michel Gondry as a director who you know ha- has a lot of background in music videos, so he's used to having to have these engaging visual effects and interpretations and a mix of practical sets and, and whatnot with special effects... Um, just the perfect director for this. And then to have someone like Charlie Kaufman focus the story up, which if you know Charlie Kaufman's history, the idea of him focusing the story up is really kind of a funny thing because uh, he was the one who penned being John Malkovich and he is played by Nick Cage in adaptation uh, yeah. as himself writing an adaptation. And so all of his stuff is very 
bizarre and conceptual and, and kind of wraps your own brain around you. But this is exactly what it needs. And then to pair it up with this, these two leads of Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, especially Jim Carrey in this time period yes. where he was making more and more of that transition to drama. Um, and mm-hmm. it was that, that gradual transition that he had of like the majestic and the Truman show and the number 23 and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is crucial for that transition to really solidify being like, he's a heartbreaking lead in this, uh, in a romantic relationship uh Mm -hmm. whereas like truman show you can see the blend of like 90s jim carrey and dramatic jim carrey and you could see more both sides of that but this is that commitment to the drama and it paid off yeah and and rumor has it that jim carrey read this script and said he he will take as big of a pay cut as he needs to to actually do this film and, and to be in it. Like, because, you know, this is Jim Carrey who is, you know, making um every million of dollars for any role that he shows up in. I mean, the last time we saw him on the podcast was in The Cable Guy. Uh, and he took up a, a big chunk of the budget for that movie. And to see him go into this role was just absolutely uh, amazing because he's so, it, it shows his range mm-hmm. because one of my favorite roles he's ever done is Stanley Ipkiss in The Mask because you get to see him kind of be on uh be a very kind of average unassuming guy and then go be this super animated very cartoon-like character but in this jim carrey like disappears like he just feels like he is joel and there is one critical role that kind of teed him up for this as well uh that i should have mentioned and that was in 1999 so five years before he did eternal sunshine of the spotless mind was when he did man on the moon which oh yeah so you have truman show in 98 uh, you know, he had Simon Birch in there, but Man on the Moon in 99. And then he goes back to kind of the formula that worked with me, myself and Irene and how the Grinch stole Christmas. And then in 2001, switches to the Majestic. But then it's Bruce Almighty in 2003. And and so you see this switch back and forth. And even with Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind in there in 2004, that's still the same year he's doing a series of unfortunate events, uh, fun with Dick and Jane. And it was three years after Eternal Sunshine that he would really dive back into this darker kind of role with the number 23 in 2007. So when you're looking at the transition of Jim Carrey uh, from larger than life, cartoonish character actor to really grounded, dramatic performances... Uh, this movie has to be in the conversation every time. Absolutely. I mean, even with a budget of $20 million, uh, this movie is considered an indie film, Hmm. Um, especially with its style. Even if it's not with a budget, it just screams indie film. Uh, It went on to make $74 million in the box office, uh, and I just remember it was rented several times by me. because there was a Hollywood video that definitely got a lot of my money before I actually owned this on DVD, uh-huh. uh, and and I and I I really want to give this movie a lot of credit for being. Um, I mean, I feel like this movie is where I think the term "manic pixie girlfriend" uh, was more popularized. But uh, 
I have to give this movie credit for how they how they utilized every visual indicator for this movie. Mm. Um, because one thing that uh, my wife was watching this for the first time, she was like, "Wait a second, I thought that they were meeting." Like we, he's he said that the first time they met was at this time, but we saw the first time that they met. What color was her hair? And I was just like, ah ha ha ha, ah ha ha ha. So well, I can tell her hair is this color now. I'm like, ah ha ha ha. It's just it's it's uh it is it's just so good. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so impressive how visual this movie is. Um, and I just I just really appreciate when a movie will so heavily utilize the visuals to make you experience something that can only be described as like entering a dreamscape. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I love how they switch, you know, what he knows and what he associates. Like that right. first meeting, the fake first meeting with the real first meeting of he's the one that makes the Clementine joke in the real first meeting. And the fake mm-hmm. one, they had to erase all of that because he so deeply associates that with her um but i love the themes of it too so like that same conversation around the name uh and when they're seeing it you were lost and gone forever oh my darling clementine and he, yeah. he says oh that means merciful it's like clemency forgiveness um and she's like but that's not who oh. i am and so there's so many of these beautiful details there like visually but also just in the dialogue yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that they have an asynchronous 20 minute cold open and you're like, I just watched an episode of something and I'm just now seeing titles. That's yes. what you, I know you and I have always enjoyed about Charlie Kaufman of yes. being like watching one of these days we have to do adaptation, but getting to that and being like, okay, so this is like a different kind of movie. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yes. Like I feel like uh like this movie is it it's a movie that is for movie lovers because uh I I want to say uh Penn and Teller I watched this video one time that a friend sent me uh Cooper who's been on the show before he sent me this video called uh the magician's magician hmm. uh and it's where uh a magician will do a magic trick that's not necessarily for the typical audiences but for another magician who basically knows how the magic trick is done. And so you basically go against convention to actually have the same effect for someone who is in the know. And I feel like that's what this movie is. Like this movie is basically just like a filmmaking magic trick for other filmmakers because so many practical effects are in this movie. They're using like force perspective. Uh, They built uh, a house set on a beach during high tide just so that they could destroy it. And it's like, oh, how is this happening? How is half of this movie happening? And it's just so beautifully and masterfully done. Uh, and, and it really does make you feel all of these uh, things that I guess you, you wouldn't typically think is even allowed because like they're breaking so many like 180 rules, but on purpose, mm-hmm. or they're they're kind of distorting what uh, landscape they think you're in. Like I really felt like halfway through the movie, I was having an actual dream. I'm like, wait a second, why is 
why can't he find his car? <laughs> why why is he walking and his car keeps moving? Like I've had that exact dream before. Yeah, that's a good point. That they they make it feel like a dream without going to tired tropes of dreams right, right. like oh yeah it's not naked in school or your teeth falling out or you know <laughs> the classics uh but it has that frustrating like i want to run but i can't run uh yes. why am i floating i need to get my feet back on the ground type feel um and you're exactly right with you know the intentional rule breaking and that happens at a directorial level, at a writing level, I'd say even at a performance level, making choices, you know, playing the, the four-year-old version or playing the neighbor character, like all of that is a very specific choice of demonstrating mastery through knowing the rules well enough to be able to break them in an artful way. And that's why I love this movie. It, so much of that comes together and it's kind of the perfect confluence of that skill that you take one of those pieces and change it, you have a different movie. Absolutely. This is this is one of my favorite movies, and I, and I love it for so many reasons. Like I I wish I could forget it, so I could re fall uh, in love with it again. That's high praise. If you enjoyed this movie, I would recommend checking out Kidding with uh, Jim Carrey because Michel Gondry is the predominant director for that show as well with, nice. with eight episodes. And you get a lot of that same feel in Kidding as you have with Eternal Sunshine where there are those practical transitions where he doesn't use CG to like disappear items. Uh, it's just done through like one fluid motion walking through these complex wow. sets. And so if you want some of this... Again, uh, Kidding is uh, right in that same wheelhouse. Wow. You know what I thought was really interesting, Grayson, in the, in the movie is like the, they, they didn't really explore the technology that they were using to like zap, you know, the memories away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I would like to think that they call it a headcanon. Headcanon. <laughs> headcanon is the part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, there was one moment. I mean, first of all, Kirsten Dunst being in this movie, I I mean, this is obviously uh, yeah. a Jumanji future forward movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you were not where I, you I thought. Like, What's her name? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mary, Mary. Yeah, I yeah. That would be a, a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you, you could look at this as like a, a Elseworld bring it on storyline instead. Yeah, she's of, Mary Jane in Spider-Man. She smokes Mary Jane in this movie. <laughs> uh, she goes off. She changes her name and becomes MJ. So you're going with Jumanji. Jumanji. Yes. Or as we know it on the podcast, Manjunji. Manjunji. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So, man, she if that's true, she has had a very difficult life yes yeah but one both both lives she doesn't remember because remember the whole thing with jumanji is that it all basically reset after they shouted right. manjuju manjuju i forgot about that huh ah! every time mm -hmm. every time mm -hmm. no i like that i like that a lot so my other head canon is this is a sequel to the Truman Show. Interesting. Okay, let's build this together then, because I had a sim I I just wrote that this was how they rebooted the Truman Show. Oh, interesting. They track him down, implant the false memories so they can wipe him, and he believes he's a certain person. Wow. Which also explains why the sets are always moving. Oh. <laughs> 
That's incredible. I really like that. So he is, are you, are you saying he is Truman? Uh, and this is what happened to him after he left. Yeah. So yeah. So this is Truman, and he just takes on the pseudonym of Joel because that his whole thing is that he wanted to basically boat out and then see what else was in the world. Well, that's why he lives near a beach, um, mm. and he just kind of started living this normal life. Like he 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 wanted normalcy. Like even after like having everything be controlled, he just kind of wanted to stay in his lane and just have things happen around him until he meets Clementine, uh, who is very impulsive. And that's what he says. Oh, uh, look out. I'm being impulsive. Like it's, she matches the, um, the thing that he is just so conditioned to doing himself, which is to be more reserved. So, ah, it could be that this is, he's still on the Truman show. Mm -hmm. And this is how, they justify doing a clip show. <laughs> this flashback, is a clip show flashback. episode. It's a clip show. I it's, love it. It's a clip show of Truman Show. Yeah. Where he has a crazy dream. <laughs> I love that. I had a couple of different headcanons. One of them, this is not anything. But when Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst are on the bed together, just kind of laying next to each other, she says, you know, to, it's such a gift to let people begin again. And then Mark Ruffalo would go be in a movie called Begin Again. And I was like, I said it, that's nothing. Um, but my legitimate headcanon, uh, let's see, I have three big ones here. The first one that I wrote down was that this is a sequel to 500 Days of Summer. Ooh. And Joel is actually the JGL character, uh, slightly more grown up, because he starts the movie by blaming greeting card companies for Valentine's Day. And so he's got that chip on his shoulder. Right. He's a great, great illustrator, as we see. Um, and he's, he's good at writing to himself in journals and all that. Uh, it's also a story that's told out of order, just like 500 Days. It's got that, um, that paper craft uh, kind of aesthetic to it. Wow. And then, yeah, kind of that Charlene Yee type like i made this myself type feel between both of them and then um i mean he's just his character is that hopeless romantic that actually is bringing misery on himself and those around him um, and he says on the train in that self monologue why do i fall in love with every woman i see who shows me the least bit of attention yes. like that's 500 days of summer up and down and then um they both wear sweaters I think was the the other thing. I mean, the sweaters. I'm just gonna yes and that Grayson because when um, JGL left, there was mm -hmm. an opening. So oh. the job that he called in sick to was that job. Granted, granted, job. granted. I I don't. I think it, they are definitely in New York, right? <laughs> like, is that like the yeah, definitive the setting? Yeah, they, they had a thing for Long Island on there, so it'd be the other coast. Um, but maybe then you can bring in a third connective movie where uh, Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel are romantically involved in Yes Man. Yes. Uh, so. Yes, man. man. Yes, man. Um, yeah, so that was that headcanon. The second one I had, it, it was basically that this is how the inception technology got started but if you watch or read oh. the inception background on uh like the bonus features and whatnot they talk about how the inception tech was designed by the military to create lifelike simulations in the minds of soldiers but that could later be 
adapted uh, to target not only perception, but memory. Um, so hmm. I think that they would eventually streamline it to create this memory targeting process. And it would make sense that if it got good enough, they could condense it down to a portable device used by only a very small and special branch of the government, the Men in Black. So oh. it's all the Men in Black Eternal Sunshine Inception verse, oh. and the top is still spinning. Wow. Finally, and this is my favorite headcanon, is that this is a Riddler origin story. Not just because it's Jim Carrey, but mostly. Um, but uh, I think the villainous ways of the Riddler in this case, in this incarnation, wow. um, are the result of the brain damage that they said could happen. He's solving mysteries of the mind. Ooh. and And in this, he's wearing that green beanie instead of his signature bowler. Uh, that the Riddler typically wears. Wow. And I believe that after this, he dyes his hair orange as a tribute to Clementine as he goes on his crime spree. You either die a lovable, adorkable lead, or you live long enough to see yourself in a green question mark onesie. Yeah. Wow. That's what it's come to. Wow. I absolutely love that. I love all of those. Well done. It's had a lot of fun this week. How appropriate for you to have multiple headcanons in this movie. <laughs> Eternal headcanons of the spotless mind. <sighs> All right. Now we're going to go to a part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Man, I honestly... I think that this would make an amazing VR game. Uh, oh, oh, man, that'd be just, intense. Just completely submerge yourself into the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind experience. Like, I would want it to be a VR experience, but I would love to combine it with, like, the game where mm -hmm. it's just, like, this really big, elaborate thing where you, you are seeing your own memories like you, you just like submit photos or uh, send in. Uh, oh yikes! You want to customize it? <laughs> yes, I want everyone to go in with their own experience, and you basically send them, you send them like a dossier of all of like your memories. Like basically, like what they ask for, like give us all of these pieces of information from this person. And then they put you through the experience. And I, I just think that that would be so bizarre, but so fascinating to go through. Like, we, I, I think we're there, the deep fake technology. Yeah, you're describing an intervention, <laughs> I think is the word you're looking for. Is that how you spell it? Is that is it intervention? Okay, I see. Interviarchin. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. That makes mm -hmm. more sense. Uh, yeah, VR would be great. For the, the shell of this, I, I think the characters are so rich and the story is so intricate in its design. To me, it's begging to be adapted into a stage play. Oh. That tangible feel, yes. sliding set pieces. You have multimedia elements to it with VO and you know lights and bringing stuff forward and backward. I, I think it could be a really impressive production. But if you were recasting this movie or doing a reboot for some reason for joel i wanted it it was really tough because these both of these characters are so clearly and forever 
glued to the actors that portray them that this was this was difficult to me but i finally landed on jesse eisenberg for joel um having Ah. recently watched social network i was like oh he does have that kind of downtrodden quiet like a lot of the complaints clementine has i think could be brought out in that performance or going back to riddler Corey michael smith from gotham would be really great for this too because he is such uh, a great actor in that type that he could bring it forward and then for clementine my only option for clementine was kat dennings i thought she would be uh excellent in that yeah absolutely you actually made me think about something I, th- I think would be really interesting is if they actually turned this into a Netflix original anthology series uh, where each episode or couple of episodes you have these different people go through the experience because I thought one of the most interesting and really sad moments in the movie was when Joel was in the lobby with his trash bags filled with Clementine stuff. And he was sitting next to two different people who had lost a dog or maybe a a young loved one. And it's just like, Oh man, this is like, this is really heartbreaking, and yeah. you you could see either how the doctor developed the technology. Maybe you see that he like you can go flashback to see like how he kind of created this technology, who was his first patient, how he kind of developed everything, and seeing who he first tested it on, or how all these people were calling in to try to redeem this coupon. Like I feel like it can ripple and affect so many different people. That would be interesting to see. Uh, what things people would be trying to forget. And even just following all of the cases that Mary is now returning their cassettes oh, would be, be interesting. So I would call that show Blue Ruin off the hair color. <laughs> that would be really great. Yeah, when I first saw that, I was just like, how many times has she forgotten? And then I was like, oh, okay, I see. I see what's happening. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we like to give you reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? So I recommend this movie because the story construction right off the bat is very interesting. Um, Not your typical plot by any means. Uh, It's told out of order for the purpose of the story, not just for a gimmick. And you're able to get flashbacks in the form of memory, not just flashbacks as a movie, yes. which is really unique. It's, it's basically justifying the form within the story, mm-hmm. uh, which is just masterful. Uh, it, it, it's, it's beautifully executed and, and flows in a way that guides you through it without being alienating. And then, uh, I mean, I, I think that what's, what's really appealing about this movie is it is a rom-com. It's all those genres that we named on the top, but it inverts the classic romantic dramatic comedic uh your formula where typically you would know okay they get together the the meet cute and all that and they have a great time together and then eventually they're gonna have a falling out and get back together we see all of that in reverse here i see why they got nervous about memento but they take this in such a unique and different direction that it really is its own thing so on the story side i recommend it for that i also recommend it for the beautiful direction of michelle gondry uh you know we've gone on and on about you know how how physical it feels how that the, the it's, it has a texture to it that is just beautiful to look at, and it feels real. And I don't know, we we just got done reviewing X Men Origins Wolverine, where we talked about you know the 
the detriment of rushed CG in some cases. And this, it sidesteps a lot of it and just says, we're gonna do things as practically as possible. And for such a bizarre conceptual story, having that uh, you know, physical presence in the production makes it feel real and grounded. And then also the, the performances. So Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, masters of their craft, and so much of this movie hinges on the power of those performances in these two-person scenes, and even the extended cast. And I know a lot of this movie, it said, was highly improvised to bring those characters out. And I think they just got the right group of people, cast and crew, to make this beautiful film. As far as the message behind this movie, I recommend this movie because it is a celebration of memory. It is a utilization of pain. And in a world that is so quick to try to erase pain, this shows the value of the past and that ultimately all we really have through our life is the story of memory. And if you erase that, you're erasing a lot of really what makes us us and you're erasing the core of our relationships with each other. So that celebration of pain and memory in a way that is constructive, I think is a message that we could all use today. Absolutely. Yeah, I I just love this movie. So when I when I first watched this movie uh with my wife for this podcast, we just rewatched it like almost to the halfway point. Um just to like re-see the story with all the information that we had cuz I remembered this movie but I forgot a lot of it. And so I I recommend this movie because it is such a fun movie watching and rewatching experience but also i think that it is such a, a a beautiful love story of how even if you could take away you know in this scenario just like the heartbreak and all the bad parts of the relationship um especially between joel and clementine like when they re-interact with each other, there's still that chemistry there that's more than just their memories. It's more than just, you know, the, the situation that Patrick tried to do. He It's more than just the words uh, or being at this super romantic place. It's the people. It's the two of them together um, that made them work. And even if things were terrible, at the end, they decided to still get back together and give the relationship a try. And I, I just think that that's very sweet. And, uh, and I think it's something that is beautiful. And I think it's a, a fun challenge to aspire to uh, when it comes to looking at the full scope of love, uh, which is, you know, loving through good times and bad. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it'd be fitting to end this recommendation with a classic quote from Alfred Lord Tennyson, uh, which says, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." Does that apply? Does it? Think about it. Does it, do though? Does it, though? Does does What was I saying? <laughs> and that is our review of the 2004 movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Let us know what you remember about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind on our social media on facebook twitter and instagram we are at flashback flicks and it would mean several 
Clementines. Oh. Uh, if if you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that that's one of the one of our bigger platforms, and that one specifically really helps to build out our audience. Uh, we appreciate you on rating us on all the other platforms that you listen to. So if you don't listen to Apple Podcasts, just forget that we ever said anything about it. But if you do listen to Apple Podcasts, please subscribe so you never miss an inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Uh, yes, on a scale of one to five, I would say head cannons because that's what that machine was. Uh, you can't tell me it was anything otherwise because they never said it wasn't called a head cannon. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flix Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With Ant-Man and the Wasp coming to Disney+, Plus, we're looking back at the 1998 Woody Allen animated film, Ants. Yeah, no, you're not having a Mandela effect. Ants is actually a real movie. It's a real movie. I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. Ants. That's right, with the Z. We're really bugging out. Gonna be a lot of that. Gonna be too much of that. (laughs)